With the mystery of both the sovereignty of God and free will of men, here's Pastor Ed Taylor. See, there is a tension, is there not, between the sovereignty of God and the free will that he's given to man. A lot of people try to explain that tension away, but we need not to explain it away. It exists. It is real. How the free will of man cooperates with the sovereignty of God is a mystery. We don't fully understand it, but we see it clearly taught in Scripture. This is amazing grace. In explaining the sovereignty of God, there's the danger of explaining it away. But what's lost in the process is a truth that's meant to bring great comfort that God is in control. Hello, and glad you've joined us today on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. As we continue in Romans chapter 9, we'll find out that God is free to do what He pleases, and what He pleases to give us is the freedom to be in a loving relationship with Him. For it wouldn't be loving without freedom. Here now with today's lesson is Pastor Ed. Now Paul in Romans 9, 10, and 11 turns a corner, drawing his attention specifically to those in the audience that were Jewish. Because the Jews hearing this letter in Romans, remember the, Roman, the letter to the Romans is also known as the gospel of grace. And the gospel of grace says that anyone can be saved by faith. That God has provided a way through Jesus Christ, the final and complete sacrifice for all of our sins, that by faith in him, you can be saved, I can be saved. But for the Jews, they're like, wait a minute. How is it possible that God would set aside the nation of Israel and begin to move among the Gentiles? It's tripped them up. It's stumbled them. Jesus, instead of becoming a rock of refuge for the Jew, their Messiah, Jesus has become a rock of offense and a rock of stumbling. And so Paul's heart, he pours out because he loves his fellow Jews. He wants them to know and understand that he cares for them and that he wants to explain to them then and to us now this glorious gospel of grace. He's an evangelist. As I think is in all of us, this desire to share the gospel, well, Paul is no different. As he talks and as he shares, on his heart, in his mind is, oh, I hope they hear the message and I hope and I pray that they are saved. Remember, chapter 9 in the beginning right there in verse 2 it's been a while since we were there but Paul says that I have a great sorrow and a continual grief in my heart it emotionally it emotionally touched him that his fellow Jews weren't saved just like it touches you with your mom and your dad and your brothers and sisters your friends your boss your colleagues they're not saved and it breaks your heart I mean, perhaps in one part in your life, you never really had a broken heart, but now your heart's crushed that people don't believe in Jesus Christ. The time is short. He says, look at verse 1 of chapter 10, as he's addressing the Jews here that would be hearing the letter written to the Romans. He says, brethren, my heart's desire is not for career progress. My heart's desire isn't for a lot of money, Paul says. My heart's desire in prayer isn't for a lot for myself. You know, hey, my heart's desire is for, to God is that Israel be saved. Earlier in chapter 9, verse 3, he says, I'd rather lose my own salvation over this. 
I mean, if it was possible, I'd give up my own salvation for the Jews to be saved. And he addresses the issues and the things that are all going on in their hearts as maybe arguments come up as they're listening. Even as sometimes in Bible study, arguments come up in your mind. You start thinking of things. You go, oh, no, I don't know about that. And what about this? And what if? And there are times as I'm studying, as I'm praying, I'm praying and anticipating some of those things that might come up. Well, Paul does that beautifully here. Let's pick up where we were last time. The last time we were together in Romans, let's pick up at verse 19. As he anticipates here in chapter 9, he says, You'll say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who has resisted his will? But indeed, O oh man, who are you to reply against God? Or we saw that also meant, who are you to talk back against God? Paul says, will the thing formed say to him who formed it, why have you made me like this? Does not the potter, and who was the potter? Do you remember? Who was the potter? Is anyone in the room? Am I teaching alone today? Who is the potter? That's right. You learn well. <laughs> Does not the potter have power over the clay? Don't answer that question yet. I know you're thinking it. Because you think, who's going to clay? No, we're going to read on. From the same lump. Who's the lump? <laughs> we are. We're a lump of clay. You know, we're not going to go around calling each other lumpy, but we're the lump. And so he says, does the potter, and this is the picture. We went to Jeremiah 18. Remember, you can jot it down or grab the study that we were in last time. He says, does not the potter, that's God, have power over the clay, that's you and me, from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor. And that was an encouraging passage of Scripture. You're the lump of clay. I'm the lump of clay. We're the lump of clay. We're in the potter's hand on the potter's wheel. Very important to grasp. When we look back at Jeremiah 18 and we learn that in the potter's hand, as Jeremiah went into the potter's work area there, he saw that the clay had become marred. And so often that is a... That's a major point of pause for us because we could look at that. Well, what it looks like is things are going so well. Things are so wonderful. Things are so glorious. Things are so great. And then the mar. Everything comes to a complete stop. We've been marred. Everything collapses. The bottom falls out. Difficulties arise. Things seem to not be the way that we had planned, the way that we had wanted. Things have been done to us, things that we have done, things that are a combination. We're a part of it, they're a part of it, and it's just marred, and we're like, oh, what about my life now? Is God done with me? Is God put me on the shelf forever? Is that what it is? And then we remember, well, we have to remember. Listen, you, you have to remember this. In Jeremiah 18, it says, that piece of clay that became marred, it says this, the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. Like he doesn't throw you away into the corner in this big stack of clay that's not usable anymore. The mar in your life, the mar is in the hand of the potter. And where is the vessel but on the potter's wheel? And I know being on the wheel of life can get dizzy sometimes. It can get difficult sometimes. It can get uh, just overwhelming at times. But you're in the hand of the potter. I'm in the hand of the potter on the potter's wheel. And it says at the end, you can just jot this down, Jeremiah 18.4. The first part says the, the vessel of clay became marred in the potter's hands. But then the second part of verse 4 says he made it again into another vessel. That takes time. I know we want to be made again right away, but this takes time. I don't know how long it's going to be for you. I don't know how much time God's going to use in making you to the vessel that he desires you to be. I'm not sure, but I do know this. He is making another vessel. He's not done with you.
not only is he not done with you, it takes time, but also it says that he made it again into another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to make. So there may be some changes going on in your life, in your perspective, because now your life, your perspective is coming into, well, what does the potter want for your life? Because he's making you again into a vessel that seemed good to the potter. You know what seems good to the potter? Let me tell you. You may not see it right now, but you're going to conclude the same thing. It's good for you. What the Father knows, he knows best for our lives. And he's going to work, and he's not done with you. None of us are finished yet, not one single one of us. We're all on the wheel of life. God isn't through with your life, not even close being through with your life. I know it might be a mess right now. I know your mind might be all jumbled. I know you aren't able to figure it out good. I'm glad you're not able to figure it out. That's a good thing. Oh no, Ed, it's not a good thing. Yes, it is a good thing. Because then you try to scheme here, and then you try to put this over here, and you try, and what the Lord's just saying, just trust me, son, trust me. I'm working it out in your life. Trust me, daughter. Cling to me. I want you to learn how to do that, God would say to us. And so things might be a real mess right now, but God is still at work. And the process begins again. He remakes us into new vessels that please him. So he says now, chapter 9, verse 22, he says, what if God... Wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. That verse alone just like blows people's minds. Wait a minute. That doesn't sound like those vessels have much of a chance. But then he says in verse 23 that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory. I want you to notice something very, very specific here. You see it in the original language, but you also see it in the English translation. Verse 22 speaks of these vessels, these vessels of wrath, and it doesn't say that he prepared them for destruction. The word he is not there. Verse 23, the vessels of mercy says God prepared beforehand, but the vessels of wrath is often misunderstood that God God creates vessels of wrath with no choice and no chance. Because we know these vessels of wrath doesn't refer to the creation of God. It doesn't refer to the creation of man, Adam and Eve, in the garden. Because at the creation of Adam and Eve, God steps back and he says, this is good. This is excellent. Adam and Eve were not created as vessels of wrath. It's unfortunate, though, that they fell into sin. And what happened? We learned that from Adam's sin, the entire human race... Well, all of the clay now, do you know what sinful human clay produces? Sinful human clay. That's what's perpetuated in our lives. We got lumps of clay producing more lumps of clay. Broken and distant and fallen and touched and tainted by sin. That's what man does. And when you look at the word prepared in verse 22, the tense... Sometimes we need to look at even the tense of the original language. The tense of that word prepared speaks of a people preparing themselves for destruction. Preparing themselves. I know verse 22 is difficult. Prepare for destruction. When we know God, he's not speaking of creation of man. Because we have fallen man now. Clay, creating more sinful clay. And God, he'll choose according to his foreknowledge, and we have looked at that in depth. All these studies work together. God, according to his foreknowledge, will choose some of that sinful clay to show his mercy on those that turn to him. And so the question becomes, wait a minute, how does a person prepare himself for destruction? Flip over to John chapter 3, would you? We'll start right there with a very familiar passage. How is it possible for a person to prepare themselves for destruction? 
See, there is a tension, is there not, between the sovereignty of God and the free will that he's given to man. A lot of people try to explain that tension away, but we need not explain it away. It exists. It is real. How the free will of man cooperates with the sovereignty of God is a mystery. We don't fully understand it, but we see it clearly taught in Scripture. And when speaking of the vessels of mercy, Paul says they were prepared beforehand by him for glory, but for the vessels of wrath, that word prepared without the word he before it, God not being involved, they prepare themselves. How is that possible? How is it that you today here in this room or listening in on the radio or on the internet, how is it possible? How is it possible for you to prepare yourself for destruction? Well, we start in chapter 3, verse 16, of God's love, he says. That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's God's heart. That's God's desire. His love motivated him to make a way of escape for you and I. That we would hear the glorious gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and that it would so captivate our heart and reveal to us the conviction of our own sin, that we will run from sin and run to God and be eternally saved. For some of you, that's exactly the decision you need to make today, to give your life to Jesus Christ, to surrender your life, to turn. There's a Bible word for that. It's the word repent to turn from sin and to turn to God. But notice now, verse 17, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him, notice, is not condemned. So by faith in Jesus Christ, right away, you no longer condemned. But here's the alternative. The alternative is this, and it's right there with that word, but, changes the whole picture. He says, okay, group, you want to believe? You are no longer condemned. You want to surrender your life to Jesus Christ? You want to believe what he has said and what he has done and what he's demonstrated through his life and his death and his resurrection? You believe? Condemnation is gone. You're saved. But, but notice, he who does not believe is condemned already. You might want to circle that word already and right next to it, right now. That's what it means. Those that refuse Jesus Christ in their lives to receive the free gift of salvation, the Bible says he and she, it might even be you. I know these are harsh words to receive. I mean, you listen to them, you go, wait a minute, Ed, who are you to tell me? You know, I'm nobody to tell you that. But just allow the Bible to speak to your heart. This isn't for me. As a matter of fact, there, there needs to be people in your life that tell you the truth. Your friends, your family. Jesus himself says this, he who does not believe is condemned, and that word already is right now, right now. Without Jesus Christ, you're already condemned. You don't need to wait for the great white throne judgment, because what's going to happen at the judgment of God is you're going to find out that you've lived a life under condemnation of your sin the entirety of your life. You don't need to be surprised at the great white throne. You don't need to be surprised before Jesus, where you go, hey, Jesus, didn't I go to church? Didn't I do great things for you? Didn't I obey my mom? Didn't I obey my dad? Didn't I do everything you wanted me to do? Didn't I own a Bible? Didn't I have a Christian shirt? Didn't I have the neck? Didn't I do everything you wanted me to do? And Jesus would say, you know what? Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. You never knew me. There was never a connection. You were connected with people. You were connected with a church. You were connected with a religion. But somehow along the way, you missed me. And it's my heart's desire for the entirety of my life that anyone that would hear my voice would not miss Jesus Christ in the midst of all the religious activity that might be going on in your life. He says, you're condemned already, but in just a few moments, you're going to have an opportunity. 
hearing the good news of Jesus Christ to come out from that, un that condemnation by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, he who does not believe is condemned already. You know, another way of looking at that is he who does not believe has prepared himself for destruction. Just like Paul said, you prepared yourself. You hear the message, you refuse it, you can look forward to judgment. Except that you're already living under the judgment of God, the condemnation of God. Because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation. The light has come into the world, verse 19, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. I don't know what it is that's holding you back. Is it some career choice? Is that it? Your career is just taking you away from the things of God. You just want to make a lot of money. Maybe some of you have made a lot of money and now you're so deep in debt you don't even know what to do now and you found out that didn't lead you anywhere. You're going from relationship to relationship or relationship trying to fulfill whatever's going on in your heart, just leaving Jesus to the side. Your attitude is like, well, you know, I'll take the things of God seriously some other day. I'll think to take the things of God when the kids get a little bit older or when we start having kids or when I get married or when I'm old enough. You know, I want to have this kind of life right now until I'm 23 or 24 or whatever it is when all the while the Bible says that well, the Bible says that you're separated from God, and why? What's holding you back? I mean, what are you unwilling to surrender and give up to the Lord Jesus Christ? What is it that you don't want Jesus to be the Lord of your life? What is it? The Bible says very clearly, Jesus does. He says, what is it that you're going to gain in this world? Why would you want to gain everything in this world? Why is that? And lose your own soul. Like, your soul is so valuable and so wonderful. Like, the price paid for your soul is the shed blood of an innocent man, Jesus Christ, the God-man. So why? Why would you prepare yourself for destruction? Flip over now to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Again, we learned that as we study through the scriptures, God is never, you will not find an example of God making someone for destruction. Man prepares himself for destruction. Sometimes it takes a whole lifetime. Well, you have chance after chance after chance after chance and message after message after message. And, and you might leave it. Oh, that was a harsh message. I don't think I want to hear that anymore. Why not? When you want to hear the truth and receive the truth, the wonderful, glorious grace of God is that even though we have eyes that can't see and ears that can't hear, God will send his message, his spiritual, right to your heart and say, I'm going to show you the way out. I can rescue you. You don't have to prepare yourself for destruction. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Draw your attention to verse 20. He says, in a great house, it's the same picture of these vessels. In a great house, they're not only vessels of gold and silver, but also wood and clay. Okay, so you've got two types of vessels, very precious, gold and silver, and just the normal ones, wood and clay, just normal everyday ones. Some are for honor, the gold and the silver, and some are for dishonor, the wood and the clay. So there are two types of vessels, two pictures. Then with that picture, he says in verse 21, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, which is the latter? The dishonor, right? The vessels for dishonor. If anyone cleanses himself from a dishonorable life, a life that's prepared for destruction. See, God has given you the choice. He's given me the choice. Anyone that cleanses himself from being a dishonorable person. I mean, I'm sure that some of you could look back on your life and say, you know, my life didn't honor God. It's not that I was necessarily a bad person or I've done a lot of bad things or I've got this criminal history that's as long as the stage. It's not that you have that. You don't even have to have all kinds of junk in your life. But apart from Jesus Christ living a life that's, well, maybe you've done a thousand good things, but never one of them in the name of Jesus Christ. It's always been for yourself. It's always been for some charity. It's always been for, for feel, have a good feeling about it, but, but not in the name of Jesus Christ. You know, you and I, we have the opportunity to cleanse ourselves from a dishonorable life. And that's what he says. If anyone cleanses himself, they go, what, wait a minute, what if I'm a vessel for destruction? Well, then cleanse yourself. That's your way out. 
Well, how do I do that? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ for the salvation of your soul. That simple decision. Well, notice he says, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, a vessel of dishonor, he'll be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. And so I would say, don't be a vessel for dishonor. Cleanse yourself. Come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Bring yourself to a place of surrender and repentance. Believer and unbeliever alike. Believers can become very dishonorable too. And we've got to guard our hearts. Continually coming to Jesus, abiding in him. Back in chapter 9 now, let's continue. In verse 24. He speaks of these vessels of mercy in verse 23, which he prepared beforehand for glory, even us, whom he called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. And he says also in Hosea, verse 25, I will call them my people who are not my people. It was prophesied that the Gentiles would be saved all the way back in Hosea. And her beloved who was not beloved, and it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, and there they will be called sons of the living God. And so right away with Paul, what you notice in Paul's writings is that he had an incredible grasp of God's word. That's why you're continually encouraged here to be men and women of God's word. Just taking it in day by day, week by week, month by month, and over the years, you're going to find you're going to know more and more of God's Word. Okay, so maybe you don't know all the addresses. You ever come and like this verse, you know this verse, but you don't remember where it is, but you know the verse. Take encouragement in that. You know, there's a little concordance in the back of most of your Bibles that have most of the popular verses, and you can just remember the word. Maybe you don't remember the full verse, but you remember a couple words. Well, that's what a concordance is. And then the ones in your back of your Bibles are very limited. They have concordances that have every single word in the Bible late. It's called an exhaustive concordance, a great, great Bible study tool that you can use to continually not only memorize the scriptures, but also remember the address. And so here's Paul. He's pulling the scripture out of Hosea and saying, look, it was prophesied way before the Gentiles would get saved. Verse 27, Isaiah also cries out concerning Israel. Though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, the remnant will be saved. So he answers the issue on their heart. He goes, why are all the Gentiles being saved? Well, God said it would be so in Hosea. Well, wait a minute. Why aren't there so few Jews being saved? Well, God already spoke about that in Isaiah. It's amazing, the Word of God, how you piece all these things together. That's something that's called systematic theology. And a lot of doctrines are built upon the continuity of the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. That's why the cults are so dangerous, because they don't systematically look at the scriptures. They don't see the Bible as a whole. So they'll take a little scripture over here and create a doctrine out of it. Then they'll run over here, a little scripture over here, they'll create another doctrine out. And then when you start pulling out other passages and say, no, let's look at them together, they'll go, no, 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 that doesn't mean that, doesn't mean that, because it's one verse, I'm going to hang on to it. But what you're being taught, what I'm being taught, is to look at the scriptures as a whole. You know, some of you might even be confused into the point where you think, well, the Bible's so difficult, I'll never understand it. Not so with the Spirit of God in your heart. Well, I'm not saying there aren't those difficult passages. There are. You know, there's enough in the Bible for the very simple. Like your kids downstairs right now, they are being blessed and learning the scriptures at their level. They're receiving it right now. They're taking it in at their age level. You know, Jesus would say to us to have that childlike faith, that childlike attitude toward him, so that the Bible could be understood by little munchkins that small, and also can be understood by big munchkins this tall, you know, that in your life you can understand. This is Abounding Grace, and you're listening to a message from pastor and Bible teacher Ed Taylor. Simply go online to hear it again at AboundingGraceRadio.com. 
Again, we're at AboundingGraceRadio.com. If you haven't already downloaded our free app, simply search for Calvary Aurora in the App Store or Google Play. This is a great way to take in a steady dose of God's Word. Here in the month of April, we picked out an excellent book written by Chuck Smith called Faith. As the title would suggest, this book is all about faith and the key to a successful Christian life. Pastor Chuck explains how faith takes you by the hand and walks you from one level of maturity to another. Using examples from the Bible and illustrations he's gleaned from the ministry, Pastor Chuck lays out a strong case for faith. We'll send you a copy with our thanks for a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. Just call us at 877-30-GRACE and ask for faith. And even if you're not in a position to be able to give to the ministry, we'd still like to hear from you. Pastor Ed loves to read listener emails and letters. It's easy to contact us through our website at AboundingGraceRadio.com when you click on Contact. Leave a prayer request or send Pastor Ed a question. Look over some of our quick links while you're there. There you'll find our podcast, other sermons taught by Pastor Ed, and even his blog. All that and more at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Don't miss our next study in Romans here on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. May God richly bless you with His abounding grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. 